patience in the thoughts of their hearts. God takes the powerful from their thrones and lifts up the lowly. God fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty. Welcome to another episode of Faith and Reason 360. I'm Deborah Dykes, and I'm joined today by David Dykes and Rabbi Marshall Clavin. Marshall is a graduate of the class of 2009 from the Hebrew Union College in Jerusalem. And Marshall served at uh, the congregation B'nai Israel in Galveston, Texas for several years. He is also the former director of rabbinic services at the Gold Ring Woodenberg Institute of Southern Jewish Life, which was located in Jackson, Mississippi. Marshall today is going to talk with us. It's going to be a very interesting talk on Hanukkah. Welcome, Marshall. There are a lot of holidays that are celebrated by different traditions. And I'm curious to talk with you this morning about Hanukkah. So, oh, by the way, we also have with us David Dykes. Good morning, David. Good morning, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Marshall, um, tell us a little about the tradition of Hanukkah, which, of course, is a part of the Jewish uh, tradition. Yeah, it, uh, it's an annual holiday. It comes up typically in the wintertime. Uh, not an exact day each time because it fixed date on the Hebrew calendar, but uh, on the modern Gregorian calendar, as it were, um, you know, it fluctuates. Uh, but typically, anywhere as early as the very last week of November, to sometimes as late as the very end of December, sometimes a tad bit into January, but it's rare. Typically, you hit the middle of December time period. Well, you know, that's interesting because you're saying that the uh, actual calendar dates of Hanukkah fluctuate. Yeah, only by our modern, you know, English calendar standards. On the Hebrew calendar, it always starts on the 25th day of the Hebrew month of Kislev. Well, the in the Christian tradition, uh, actually, the Easter holiday mm -hmm. fluctuates, and it's determined by the lunar cycle. Correct, right? And so the Hebrew calendar still maintains the same lunar calendar. Small adjustments have been made throughout time on that. It's not a strict lunar calendar, because if it does, then some of our holidays, which are typically centered around agricultural seasons, they're like, you know, you'd have a winter holiday happening in the dead of summer uh, if you don't make certain calculations. So similar to the English calendar, which has a leap uh, year, occasionally with the added day in February, um, we have a, a leap month. We add an entire month uh, in the Hebrew calendar sporadically through um, the counting of the Jewish years. Well, tell us about Hanukkah. How did it uh, come to be? Is there a historical um, reference yeah. to... Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, some of our holidays, just to give the context, again, uh, are locked in originally to agricultural events. Uh, but Hanukkah is a historical event. Uh, it happened in... Uh, for the revolt uh, against uh, the Assyrian Greeks uh, between 135 to, let's say, 132 uh, before the Common Era. Um, this is a time period in which um, two 
Greek empires, both very Hellenistic, those centered around what is today Syria and Egypt, constantly fought over this great middle ground, which is today, you know, the state of Israel, um, because it was a large trading route. Um, and so they were all vying to have sort of their power uh, in that area. And uh, eventually the Greeks from the Syria region uh, do take control. Um, and at first, the Antiochus III, he's tough, um, but he's not, uh, he's not as big of a tyrant as his son actually will be. In fact, he gets tempered by the pushback of the local Jewish community when he tries to instill sort of more stricter Hellenistic policies over Jewish practice in particular. And, uh, and so he tempers a little bit. His son? Not the same type of guy, and really goes over and beyond um, what his father did. Um, and, you know, erects a statue of Zeus, um, allows for the sacrifice of pig uh, to happen inside the temple. Um, he prohibits you know, certain religious practices, including circumcision, which is a big one that enters Jews into the covenant. Uh, with God, and he he requires even and mandates people to eat pork, knowing that this is just going to be an affront. It's not done for any sort of greater purposes except to really piss off yeah. the local Jewish community. Um, so not a nice guy to say the least. Mm. So what happens? So how did did the holiday come about because of um, getting rid of this tyrant? Right. I mean, the question <laughs> is, what do you do? This is like the m most dominant military force of its time um, taking over like a population Jews that were kind of mostly merchants farmers you know these aren't uh, professional military to the degree that uh, that these Greeks were so the question really is like what do you do in the face of that overwhelming force yeah. do you just bend and break or do you try to stand up knowing that the odds are certainly stacked against you and there were a few exceptions that people decided to stand up the one in which the story is based on is starts with a an older priest named Matasyahu or Mattathias. Uh, he refuses to offer the sacrifice as demanded and required of him by the Hellenistic authority. Um, clearly, this agitates that that power, um, and one would say that even then he would have broke. But he had these five amazing sons: um, Yochanan, Yonatan. Eleazar, Shimon, and the most famous that we remember is Yehuda or Judah Hamakabi, and Judah the, the hammer. Uh, and uh, with them, a rebellion starts. And it non doesn't just stay with the five. Uh, their passion uh, starts to really catch on. And these average folks who couldn't imagine ever probably taking on the most powerful military might, they get riled up and they end up eventually overtaking the Greeks and reclaiming the temple, purifying it, from which then this is the true miracle of Hanukkah, is the sense that the small overcame the many, the weak overcame the strong, simply because of a conviction in something greater than themselves. Oh, wow. Um, are there any kind of specific prayers that go along with Hanukkah? Yes. Um, and. To give you a sense of these prayers, just to put a little bit more context to it, this is a great story in and of itself, right? That this should be the miracle that stands as the prominent miracle of the holiday. But I, over time, we have to understand, uh, I guess, to go back a few steps, 
This great story that I just talked about isn't in the Hebrew Bible. It shows, oh. it shows up nowhere in Torah. It's found um, initially, I think Josephus may mention it uh, as well. It's in the book of Maccabees, but the book of Maccabees aren't within Jewish canon. Um, that is preserved wonderfully then by the Catholic Church and, and the Apocrypha. Um, that the first time the story appears within Jewish texts that are considered authoritative is not till the Talmud, uh, which is a code of uh, Jewish law that roughly is roughly is like put together around 800, 900 of the Common Era. And so that's quite a bit after these, these events have taken place. Um, so you can understand that, that the inclusion of it eventually had to have been an act of holiday because by the way they talk about it, they already have certain practices they are codifying and stuff like that. Um, and, and the point that was sort of coming up in my head was it didn't even, this holiday, while it takes prominence in today's Jewish world, and we could say even largely worldwide, I mean, maybe overly um, disproportional in Western countries, but it's it's even prevalent in Israel today, um, is that in comparison to when it started, it didn't even deserve its own tractate within the Talmud. Right? So if you looked for the Hanukkah tractate, uh, within the books of, you know, Berachot, Blessings, and Gitin, and all these other tractates that are in the Talmud, you wouldn't find one on Hanukkah. It's a very small s section mentioned as a tangential conversation in the tractate for Shabbat, when it comes to talking about the Shabbat candles and how they can be used and which ways they need to be lit, um, then they take on a, like a little tangent into the lights and the candles of Hanukkah. So it, it kind of helps us put it in context that while we think of Hanukkah as a very important Jewish holiday, by religious standard, it's not. Hmm. Um, there's so much more more important ones. Would Would you just tell us what tractate translates to? So oh, tractate. tractate. So uh, sections, or okay. like they're broken up by mm -hmm. uh, the Talmud's broken up by legal topics, if you will. Okay. okay. Um, Shabbat, and some other holidays like Passover, you know, some of them do get their own body, if you will, within that larger work. Um, you get their own sections, but Hanukkah did not. It's a telling statement that it, we, we prioritize it a lot today uh, because of how it's engaging. And again, the message is really great. But in context of Jewish history, it's a pretty much minor holiday. That surprises me because we hear so much about or I do, as a non-Christian, uh, non-Jewish person, a lot about um, Hanukkah. Mm. And maybe because it somewhat coincides fairly closely to the Christian uh, celebration of Christmas. And so, um, and of course, gifts. But before we go there, I want to go back okay. to um, uh, any particular the blessings. blessings or prayers or liturgies or chants. So to give that then that context is because of the connection with the crossover with how the Hanukkah candles, that's really the secondary miracle, if you will, that arises, right? The biggest one is the small overcoming the many, the weak overcoming the strong when one believes in something that is greater than themselves. To help us remember that initial miracle, the Talmud records this other miracle that when they went, the Maccabees, to reclaim the temple, um, 
that in order to reconsecrate, to cleanse it of the impurities that were brought on by the Greeks in their sacrifices, uh, that you typically need uh, eight days of purification. Now, when they went to reclaim the temple, all the sacred oil that had been considered uh, pure um, had been ruined. All the vessels had been opened up, save one. They found one little cod, which means a little jar of, of oil, that should have been enough to last just one day. But miraculously, it lasts the required eight days to consecrate the temple. Now, whether it happened or didn't is, you know, for other people to make a decision on. There's no historical evidence that that was the case. But it's a nice way to sort of bring in what will become the reminding devices of the original miracle. What I mean by that is that then, uh, as we do today, uh, we light it used to be wicks in oil, which some people still do, um, but largely it's turned into the candles. Right. And we'll do one on the first night, two on the second night, three on the third night, and so forth throughout the eight nights of Hanukkah. And you'll see them illuminated on a what we call either a Hanukkah menorah, uh, which is the English form, or in the Hebrew, a Hanukkah. And uh, there was a great debate within the Talmud about how this lighting should go. Right. As everything in Judaism, there's no dogma, there's just debate. And uh, <laughs> it goes for everything. It's really an incredible tradition in that way that allows us to really thoughtfully engage. There are some ground rules to it, but it's about us having more of conversations by which we determine what should be the the case for our community at this particular time, knowing that as we grow and move and change, that as long as we keep that conversation going, holiness will always be there, right? And to quote, you know, in a sense, uh, New Testament, you know, wherever two or more people can be found, there the Holy Spirit should dwell. Same way, that so we have to keep on having conversation to engage with each other, especially from perspectives that don't coincide, uh, from that we see things from a dramatically different perspective, so that together, somewhere within the midst of us, in between us, that's where holiness is found. That's where the answers uh, are derived. So dogma. Um, no dogma, just No dogma, debate. just discussion. That sounds very that's healthy. That's wonderful, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. it keeps it fresh. So we keep the conversations going in a way, but this older one was, all right, so which way should we light these candles? And that will eventually get to the blessing. So I, I have not forgotten about your, I got it. your question. Yes. But it's, I was going to uh, ask you about the menorah anyway, so right. this is good. So this kind of builds it up. So it's, it, you know, there was one uh, from the students of the school of Shammai. Uh, they said, look, based on another eight-day holiday, which is um, Sukkot, in which... Um, during the ritual is that they would offer the most amount of offerings on the first day uh, when the temple stood and then decrease as you went through the holiday. They said, same thing goes for here. We should start with eight candles and we should decrease by one every night. It's sort of like, and also gives the sense of a countdown. Now the students from the uh, school of, Sham, uh, of Hillel, which is his, uh, his partner, uh, we call them Zugo, right? They're not rivalries. Even though they see things always at a different perspective, they're actually partners. Mm -hmm. So the students from the school of Hillel said, all right, we see your point, valid, absolutely. However, it questions whether in matters of holiness, do we decrease or do we increase? Hmm. And their decision is oh. we should increase in matters of holiness. Oh, nice. And that becomes actually the, the standard. We've preserved Shammai's opinion just in case we need to use it in the future, but currently standing is that that's the reason we start with one candle and we increase 
by one throughout the eight days, because in matters of holiness we should always arise, we should always ascend as opposed to descend. Um, so it's a nice message as we go through the holiday, get the spirit grows and grows. And I also like it because I think it goes back to the original miracle, which is Matas Yahu is the original candle. Okay. And when he was willing to stand up for his passions, his light illuminated his sons, who there in turn, as then the, the continuation of the story went, their candles lit others. So eventually they had enough light to push back the darkness. Oh, that's lovely. That to me is, is the very beautiful aspect mm. of the symbolism yes. of the Hanukkah, of the Hanukkah menorah. You know, that symbolism is carried out through other traditions as well. I don't want to get off too far into that, but uh, you're talking about the um, increase in the light, and uh, the Christian tradition does that during Advent. Mm -hmm. we, um, add, we add light to the wreath. Yes, Correct. Yes, yes, right? Yes. All around the same time of year. We can, we can think the of uh, the Kwanzaa Kinara. We can think of the light holidays that happen in, in, in the Asian uh, communities. Mm -hmm. There are so many uh, wonderful traditions during this time of year that understood that the light was at its most limited and that we needed to be partners with however one understood their aspect of sacredness or holiness to bring light back into this world. And it's hopefully something as Christianity does, as Judaism um, uh, purports as well, and as other traditions uh, teach, that that should not just happen this time of year. It should happen uh, all the all time. The year. All, all the year. All the time. So go back to the eight. I mean, why, why eight days? Well, it's because that was determined already as the time period. So you can think about it. Seven is a number of wholeness, of completion, and eight is that additional measure, right? That, that is the new beginning. Like the extra candle on a birthday cake. Correct, right? It's it's the <laughs> hope of on. it's the hope of the newness yes. that is coming. Yes. Yeah, ex exactly right. So, like uh, to give that sense of so seven is the number of days of the week, um, Shabbat, uh, in the sense of uh, wholeness and completion on that day, and then when the new week starts, it's the hope of newness. So that sense of 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 why the eight. So then we get there and all eight, if you will, are illuminated. If one is listening to this and picturing the beautiful evening, uh, most things are dark. Uniquely with the Hanukkah candles lit, unlike something, let's say, for the Shabbat candles. Shabbat candles, you can do other things by them. You can read by them. You could study by them. Um, technically, I guess you could play cards by them. With the Hanukkah candles, however, you're prohibited from doing anything except for beholding the beauty of what those candles are lit. It's a sense of, and they typically stay lit, first of all, they're required to stay lit 30 minutes after nightfall. Minimum, that's the minimum standard. Um, but it's a sense of, take a pause, 30 minutes, an hour, meditate. Meditate on what light you have inside of you, what how can you bring that light to share it with others? Just meditate. Take a pause from all the busyness of, of your week and just reflect on the sense of what greater thing do you connect with in life that extends beyond yourself? Because once you can figure out that, that's the way we get illuminated. And it's the way that we can help other people also find light in the world. So it's this great one. And then so you can imagine this so the listeners is hopefully... Um, picturing this in their mind. And then we do these blessings to get to the question you had asked. 
And this is the melody. It's a special melody for Hanukkah. Um, there's two blessings that we do every single night as we light the candles. And there's one that we add on just the first night. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher kedeshanu b'mitzvotav Vetzivanu lehadikner Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam She'asa nisim le'avoteinu Bayamim ha'hem Bazman hazeh And the one we add Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Shehechianu, vikiyamanu, vihigiyanu, lazman hazeh. In English, they say, Blessed are you, sovereign of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to kindle the Hanukkah lights. And blessed are you, Lord our God, sovereign of the universe, who performed miracles for our ancestors in those days and at this time. And the added one was, blessed are you, Lord our God, sovereign of the universe, who has granted us life, who has sustained us, and who enabled us to reach this very special occasion. <laughs> Marshall, that was a gift. Yeah. That was just truly... What a but from God, thing. like that's the thing is like. Well, I like how God works through you. Then <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, speaking of gifts, now Hanukkah is also a time I understand where gifts are given, and a gift is given each day during Hanukkah. So all eight days. Yeah, I mean, tradition there wasn't gifts at all. Um, it's something that has developed, and you had mentioned, um, you know how much this holiday has similar themes to Christmas and, and such as well. And there's always this dialogue, always throughout history. None of us exist in a vacuum. And so we are listening, we get impacted, and we change, uh, sometimes subtly and sometimes in, in bigger ways. But the gift-giving is certainly an, um, an impact, at least how it, it looks like today as an impact from our Christian um, family members. And so... Um, for example, uh, we did have, uh, around this time of year, gift-giving, but it was not to the children. It was actually children were giving to adults, specifically teachers. Um, they, it was typically a little bit of coinage, a little parnasa, a little um, livelihood money, uh, as a way to say thank you for, so far, the teachings that has gone on in the year. Um, but over time, that kind of shifted, they went you know, 180 to where teachers were actually given little, little pieces of chocolate and little something sweet during this time of year. Hence the gelt, the Hanukkah gelt, the little coins, the chocolate coins that are around yes, today. Yes. And again, as Christianity's impact of, of the holiday and the gift giving underneath the tree, so too did that enter into, um, into Hanukkah. Um, I want to say this is maybe a little cynical, but 
I hope it wasn't this way, but you can understand if it were. But, you know, Christmas is a really dominant force within Western societies. And for when Hanukkah gift-giving wasn't actually a thing, there was a sense of jealousy that young Jewish children would have towards their Christian classmates who would be talking about all these wonderful gifts that they got and and nothing. So uh, one could potentially imagine that a little rivalry started to develop and say, okay, so you get all those gifts on one night? I get eight nights (laughs) of gifts. So top that. And so it was a way for, like, I would say, again, I don't know if this is the case, but one could potentially imagine then this kid having a sense of renewed pride in their Judaism that, you know, even if the gifts were like underwear and socks, like (laughs) they may not want to go home, you know, go and tell their classmates. But that tends to be is today we see like, especially in the first few nights, like really small gifts that are more connected to the needs as opposed to wants. And then as you get through the holiday, maybe some more of the wants come on in. And that's if you honestly have the financial blessings to be able to provide that, not all families do, and that's why we want to, as spiritual leaders, not emphasize sort of the gift-giving part and go back to the spirit of the holiday, which is really sharing more so what is our light inside as to something external. Well, I mentioned that we're in uh, Rabbi Clavin's home, and earlier in the show, um, you might have heard a voice of a small child and that's which is not yeah not my not my daughter it's really (laughs) devo's goddaughter it's my goddaughter then it's my daughter second (laughs) (laughs) and so i um ruby is 14 months now maybe and so last year was my first uh experience in uh provide and giving uh ruby a gift each day mm. during Hanukkah. And I'm just delighted in yeah. that, and I look forward to doing that every year. And I think the first <laughs> She day, looks forward to it as well. <laughs> no, and as she gets older, she'll yeah. look forward to it even more. But I think the first gift I gave her was the dreidel. Yes. And so I don't know, is that traditional? Yeah, the dreidel, um, you know, again, I think everything And not everyone within. knows what a dreidel is. So, you so a dreidel is a, um, typically just like a spinning top um, and it's actually, I believe, a German-derived word um, because that's where it, um, it came from. Um, so it wasn't, dreidel doesn't uniquely mean anything in Hebrew, although we now associate it with something uniquely within Judaism. As a spinning top typically has four sides um, and which are written four Hebrew letters. Um, I say that with a pause because the four Hebrew letters that we will have outside of Israel are one thing, and there's actually a change that happens with the four letters if you live within Israel. Uh, So let me first explain what they are outside of Israel, because that's uh, primarily where it started, is you'll have um, Nun Gimel He Shin. It stands for four Hebrew words, Nes Gadol Hayasham. In translation, Nes means miracle, Gadol a great, uh, Hayah, was or happened, sham there, right? It's a great little reminder that a great miracle happened. They're referring to that initial miracle of the small overcoming the many, the weak overcoming the strong that happened during that revolt of these average people against one of the most superior military mites of its time. It's become a children's game, right? Another way to help our children engage in the meaning of the holiday 
they would spin it and there's like a little bit of a gambling aspect sort of that goes into it with the coins the Hanukkah gelt get oh, played course, into yes. it uh, it's a great little game um, and so um, you know, and kids, there's a song there is a song I had a little dreidel I made it out of clay and when it's dry and ready oh dreidel I shall play oh dreidel 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 I made it out of clay and when it's dry and ready oh dreidel I shall play it has a lovely body with legs so short and thin and every time I spin it it drops and then I win oh Oh, dreidel, 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 I made it out of clay. Oh, dreidel, 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 oh, dreidel, I shall play. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, so it's a great way, uh, but it's like everything in Judaism, like our, our tradition didn't just get formed at one place and at one time, it continues to grow. And so the dreidel is a later inclusion. Um, and those who then live in Israel today, they won't have the nun, gimel, Hey Shin, instead they will have the Nun Gimel Hey Pei. So that it reads, a great miracle happened here oh, instead of there. Nice. nice. Yeah, and they, so those are available in Israel today. Would it be okay if I ask you, use the term miracle in the Christian world that's a problem, not, not, with, with, uh, not with Jewish tradition. But it's a problem within the Christian community. We argue about miracles all the time, whether they were real or actually happened or what. So, but you use the term miracle to mean what? Yeah, it's also um, a great source of debate, as we mentioned, yes. everything in Judaism is, yeah. uh, within Judaism. And um, so you have some um, theologians who talk about it. it has to be something outside the realm of nature to be defined as a miracle. Um, and we also know that one generation's miracle is the next generation's scientific understanding, if you will. Um, I will tell you in this context, it largely means the idea of something profound happening. And it can come at the hands of um, humans. Mm -hmm. um, typically driven by something greater than themselves. Right. And we can kind of see that sense of human involvement in divine acts constantly. Um, for example, even with the term angel, which in Hebrew is a malach, which also just means a messenger. And we can also be, and we've seen it not just with the prophets, but even with some minor characters within the Torah that, you know, human beings can provide the right message at the right time mm -hmm. and can be considered then extensions of God's will on earth. Yes. And that's a miracle for the yes. people that that message is meant to impact. Um, so that's kind of how Judaism, I know it's a, it was like on one foot explanation of, um, you know, Judaism's understanding of miracles, but uh, it, it's still a source of debate. But in the but, context of, of, again, of Hanukkah, it's a sense of how we can do something profound when we're driven by something greater than ourselves. Mm -hmm. Well, we can take this um, for probably another hour or two, but we're going to stop at this point because we're going to uh, have Rabbi Clavin back with us on several more podcasts. And, um, but before we go, um, I'm going to 
ask that you indulge me and offer us uh, a um, Hebrew blessing, uh, a chant of some sort as we um, move from this time together and uh, how we might bring light into the world. Mm. You know, I, I two came to mind. Uh, one is certainly from our Hebrew tradition, uh, but one is a beautiful modern song that I've come across uh, from uh, India, Ari. I could probably do both, but first one from the Hebrew. Uh, it goes to the theme of the holiday, and I'll translate it as well. Yai, dai, dai. song shall be my salvation. Oh, Marshall. Well, as with every opportunity that David and I get to be with Marshall and Christina and our beautiful goddaughter, uh, Ruby. And by the way, what does Ruby call me in the Hebrew language? Uh, Sandeket. Sandeket. I love it. So, Marshall, I cannot thank you enough um, for spending this time with us this morning. David, thank, thank you. you. And we will pick up where we left off in our next opportunity to be together. Wonderful. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be here. Thank you. You're listening to Faith and Reason 360. Support for this program comes from the Joe and Louise Cook Foundation, Barbara Winland Director, 
and the D.L. Dykes Jr. Foundation, promoting critical thinking and advocating for justice in the world. To their children's children evermore.